Now and Again is brought to you by the Cage Club Podcast Network. For all things Cage, Keanu, and more, head on over to cageclub.me. That is cageclub.me. Please play this song on the radio. Please play this song on the radio. Guys, gals, and non-binary pals, it's your Now and Again for October Side B. Now, that's what I call music, Volume 24, and we're back to March of 2007. I'm Chris Podcasts with me. As always, he taught me how to save a life. It's Nico Vasillo. Nico, how are you today? Oh my god, but I'm losing this one. Quick, someone help. Help, I I do. All right, well, that one's gone. I was, I'm fine now. How's everyone there? Uh, well, you know, surviving. Surviving, aliving, and staying, thriving. Driving. Styling and profiling. Uh, so it is middle of October. I hope everyone is having a uh, spoopy skeleton, pumpkin spiced fall, and uh, you know, enjoying enjoying your Halloween season. I'm a massive Halloween guy, as many of my friends know. Uh, I get you know, it's not for everybody, but uh, you know, I don't I don't get the Christmas heads either. So, Nico, uh, if if I if I remember correctly, uh, depending on when this is versus when it's released, but people can go into the archives. I believe we just spent a, a good amount of time with some aliens and some predators, have you not? Oh, I sure have. It was one of those things where my husband had to accept that to marry me, he was going to have to watch Alien a lot. And so that's what we did. We are doing a new run of HTML, having just finished up the Marvel Cinematic Universe, and not necessarily wanting to get away from superheroes, but wanting to address a different kind of superhero. I really wanted to talk about my favorite movie franchise, Alien, because Alien is so many wonderful, confrontationally feminist ideas in a way that doesn't speak down to its audience. You know exactly what they're doing. They're telling you if you don't agree with this, you're probably a bad person. And they're okay with that. And I am too. (laughs) However, I was not prepared for Predator. Uh, Yeah, they're, uh, Predator is a much like in the vein of uh, Commando or, uh, I don't know, like a early 80s Chuck Norris movie, like Missing in Action or something like that. Uh, it is a movie that I watch and I go, oh, this is bad. But sometimes you're just high at four in the morning and you want to see someone shoot big guns with muscles and a bunch of explosions. Uh, but it's, uh, yeah, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's a very, very, very much like this now uh, of its time movie. And I want to say, I don't actually regret watching it. I really don't. And I thought it was not a good movie. I thought it was bad. But I, for my sake, genuinely enjoyed Arnold's performance. Think that that is the fucking hottest he ever looks in his entire goddamn life. And, you know, he's not trying to convince me that he deserves a BAFTA with this performance. He's just trying to get me to agree that he's a big guy with some guns. And Mm -hmm. for that, I really feel like I walked away maybe making fun of Arnold as an actor less. I've always really appreciated what an incredible queer ally he is. He has always said that there is nothing but room in bodybuilding for homosexuals. And that's a really good stance to take because homosexuals pay your bills when you're a bodybuilder. They are the ones buying the calendars and subscribing to the website. And that's, that's a really good attitude to take. He also took some very strong political measures to protect queers when he was in 
government in California. And I guess, you know, other than the whole telling people, no, you should use steroids, it's really okay, he's really never misled anyone or done any wrong by the community. So, yeah, I was just happy to like a performance on top of being generally pro-Arnold. Yeah, and uh, and he's he's if you've ever seen a uh, that uh, uh that bodybuilder documentary, he is he's very pro coming too, which is a platform that I can I can get on. I'm coming at the gym, I'm coming at home, I'm coming everywhere. It's just it's perfect. It's perfect. I can't believe that wasn't brought up when he was running for governor. Uh, and then you know what? I'll take if we're talking old ass action guys, I'll take. I mean, I'm not going to see that or pretend that that new Terminator movie that they're retconning everything is going to be good and uh, boy does he look every year of his age but uh, I would take old man Arnold over old man Roy Gut Stallone or not even trying anymore Bruce Willis any fucking day of the week you know really truly that was one of the things that I was really excited to walk away from Predator with oh I now feel like I understand this weird connective tissue because our big thing is we do behind the scenes right and one of the things that we talked about is the director of Predator would go on to direct Die Hard and John McTierney yes nice still got it who who also evidently went to jail for bugging his his professional rival's home and like Uh, dude all the weird connective tissue yeah right I mean I've tried to bring down quite a number of other podcasters. Yeah. So, uh, since it's it's Halloween season, I'm putting you on the spot here a little bit, and I can go first if you want. Um, re- why don't you recommend to our listeners, like, maybe a horror movie that they might not have seen? Give me, like, a, like a slightly deep cut that, that you're into. A slightly deep cut? Well, I know I just pimped it last half, but I'm going to, for one more second, please, everybody, go watch The Haunting of Hill House. I'm that guy. Mm-hmm. But, if I need to give you a a sort of deep cut horror film that I really care about that I think is worth it. I'm going to say Halloween three season of the witch. Oh yeah. It's so good. Has nothing to do with the Halloween franchise. It is this weird bump in the night and I really love it. Uh, a little bit more central. I love poltergeist, the original. I love the original exorcist. I finally saw the beach and I was kind of bored, so oh, there was that. I love that movie. Um, I just didn't... I wish it had been sold to me as something different. A lot of these new wave of, like... What, are, what the fuck are they calling it? Like, It's got some dipshit name, like... Mature horror or something stupid like that. Like your A24 horror movies, you know? Um, I really don't like that designation... Uh, because it pretends that like all horror before this was Friday the 13th part 8 which you know that has its place but not every horror movie before this was like goofy splatter slasher movies like there was high level thoughtful horror movies going back since fucking time immemorium since since Edison electrocuted an elephant on film like like there has always been oh elevated elevated horror there's been elevated horror before uh, it follows and get out like yeah, I'm sure Midsummer is great, but anyone who is writing that seriously is a self-loathing dipshit. I agree. I think whenever people like to say this was the birth of this or that was the birth, you know, I understand that there's always that distance between 
the the reality. There's that kind of like wiring that needs to go from thing to thing. I don't think that we wound up at Bjork directly from the theremin, but <laughs> the theremin got us to the synthesizer, got us to where we are now. And whenever somebody says, it was the first of this thing or that thing, you really got to be careful because making bold pronouncements like that, they just get upset when... And I mean, the pronouncement is upset by new information that comes out down the line. You know, every time they think they found the oldest sex toy, they always find somebody who banged themselves on something a little older. Mm-hmm. And um, speaking of synthesizers... I'm so glad Season of the Witch is getting its kind of uh, reevaluation these days because not only is it a good movie, it is a gorgeous movie. And uh, John Carpenter did the soundtrack, and every John Carpenter soundtrack is awesome as fuck. Just some variation of that. I love it. I dated a guy who was super duper into the Halloween franchise for a little while, and we watched a bunch of them together, and he kind of tried to warn me and, like, kind of like, gently like kind of gently lead me in and be like okay so this one's a little different you're going to be a little confused by it and i was like if it's a halloween movie i've definitely seen it i've seen all the hollow what the fuck is happening and i just thought it was a well-made movie i would say for my money halloween 4 is excellent except for what it ultimately like how it's all paid off and halloween 5 sucks yeah, it also probably has the worst mask in the franchise, other than the the occasionally CGI'd one in H two O. And oh, that was no look, it's Ghostface Killer. No, it's Michael. So I think the other like, and what is it? Is is Halloween Halloween five introduces the Man in Black and Halloween at the six very end. Yeah, is the one where they find out about the cult. Yeah, uh, Paul Rudd in easily the worst performance of his career. I think, it, I mean, that's like maybe his first movie. I don't know how he had a career after that, frankly. And then there's, I mean, every Jennifer Aniston has her leprechaun, don't you worry. Ah, uh, yes. So, Kevin Bacon has his arrow through the neck. Johnny Depp. Every franchise had someone in there that you're like, oh, yeah. I mean, look at the only successful person to come out of um, Scream, Rose McGowan, because she's capable of getting so much work right now. Oh, wait, no, right. That's because she opened her mouth about being raped. My bad. Yeah, I forgot. Yeah. We still treat women like shit in this society, I rule. Uh, hey, you know what? Uh, Matthew Lillard had a fucking amazing scene in Twin Peaks The Return, so I'm going to give, I'm gonna oh give Shaggy my God, some credit. That was the best acting I've ever seen. Oh, my God. That was so Shaggy good. can act, motherfucks. That was literally one of the most mind-bending experiences of my life. I could not believe what Matthew Lillard was capable of, of executing. It, it, and it didn't seem... I don't want to say it seemed effortless, because when you say something seemed effortless, it makes it sound like it was no big deal. But he made it seem like that was... Like, I know acting is a lot of lying and a little bit of memorization, but he really made me believe in that moment that there was no Matthew Lillard that I had grown up with in all of those movies that I had seen him in. And it was this guy... It was David Lynch, just really... And Mark Frost, the two of them, when they... Oh, God, they just get the best performances out of everybody because I I, I just... You know, most of the cast of Twin Peaks is not as talented as their performances in Twin Peaks. 
Uh, that's the, I mean, that's Lynch in general to me. I think he's capable of pulling amazing performances out of people. Um, though I, I wish that, I wish the return had a little bit more Matthew Lillard, but, uh, and I guess this is spoilers for that, but I don't know how you can actually spoil Twin Peaks The Return. Uh, anything sounds out of context, even if you gave an episode bullet point by bullet point. I don't think you could spoil it. That that plot line with Matthew Lillard is just dropped, right? Like, that never comes back around, does it? No, 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 we, we, it's, well, it's not that it doesn't come back around, but it's that it's meant to lead us to that house. Right, right, okay. Yeah, and, yeah. And then that scene yeah. at the oh, house with the, the lightning, no, with the lightning, with the, uh, the electricity thing is the... I guess yeah. ultimate resolution of the what year is it? So I just okay. This is the water and this is the well. Uh, yeah, uh, go watch the movie Lake Mungo. That's my recommendation. I'm not gonna tell you anything about it uh, except that it's my favorite horror movie. Uh, so go watch it. Lake Mungo, M U N G O. It's a uh, as Australian as it sounds. Maybe New Zealandish. Sorry, I keep doing that to people in old Oceania. You better say just keep calling it Oceania. Um, yeah, I. I just we can agree that that episode of Twin Peaks, the episode that obviously you just referenced, is like one of the greatest experiments in the history of filmmaking, right? It's insane that it exists. It was Kevin and I just kept being like, "Is the TV broken? <laughs> is the TV broken?" Uh, I, I I love wild. Twin Peaks: The Return, but I have I have a tough time. People ask me a lot, like if they should get into David Lynch when they find out that. Uh, both Eraserhead and Mulholland Drive are my, my top five slash ten movies is I have them in my head, but it's very fluctuating depending on the day. Uh, when people find out that like both Eraserhead and Mulholland Drive are in there somewhere, people are like, well, where should I start with Dave Lynch? Like, should I jump into Twin Peaks? And I'm like, no, no, I don't think so. I feel like Twin Peaks is it's not 400 level David Lynch, but it's not. It's not 101. I feel like you start with Blue Velvet and then see where you want to go from there, especially now that the return see- is in that mix. <laughs> What's really funny, I absolutely always tell people to start with Mulholland Drive. I kind of say that, like... I I think that's fair. Because I think it's a film that transforms when you watch it, then you watch more Lynch, then you go back and you rewatch it. You can see how it's... Like, I I joke that Mulholland Drive is the full Lynch experience in two and a half hours. It's just every fucking trick he has. And it is, for the first and maybe only time in the entirety of his career... 1,000% 1,000% accessible on a surface level to just about anyone. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, for me, that's uh, that's second semester 101. Like, if, if you like Blue Velvet, go to Mulholland Drive. This is a pop music podcast. I know. Shut up. Uh, I guess we should talk about now. But go watch Lake Mungo. It's really good. And go watch um, uh, Haunting of Hill House. All those movies. Yeah. And Season of the Witch. It's all good. Season of the Witch, yes. Oh, and Deep Blue Sea. Because it turns out my husband was unfamiliar with the theme track from the film. Deepest bluest, my head is like a shark's fin. Yes! He didn't know the song, so I had to sing it for him. I won't let him watch the real video, though, because I look real good with my shirt off, but I do not look LL good with my shirt off. Mm -hmm. So I don't want him to have any version of it but mine and mine. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Well, that's been uh, horror talk for your October uh, and look, 18 minutes is, sh- is shorter than most of the tangents we start with. So let's jump into side B with uh, Corin Bailey Ray's Put Your Records On. Put your records 
this is you know we've made a lot of jokes about latte gaze but this is the sure first have. time i think latte gaze says i have a perspective it is heavily motown influenced this is still really kind of like chill it out music and like lay back i think these next three songs represent three very different dynamic women who kind of take what we've been listening to and now and spin it on its head yeah i, th- I think this is a fun song i, I completely forgot about this song like it's not a song that we talk about latte gays getting used a lot in like um fucking like herbal essences commercials and stuff like that and uh this one isn't one that has been kind of put into that canon fortunately uh and i just but i was just able to not able to but it just caused me to kind of uh, much like a lot of these songs on the nows i just kind of forgot about it for about 15 years um but uh no it's it's a it's a good one it's very um i feel like our, our fictional record exec, our shitty fat white man with a cigar, uh, at some point was like, get me some more Nora Joneses. And like, perhaps she came in from that aftermath. Cause, uh, cause she's got a very, that very breathy voice that I, I genuinely like love anytime that comes out and works well with the music. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's a good one. You probably don't remember it, but go check it out. It's a good, good little song. I also think that it, has a very specific target audience. It's a very kind of eat, play, eat, pray, love, repeat kind of audience. <laughs> and it has, it's kind of got chops in that regard. You know, one of the things that we say about Latte Gaze is it's so frequently toothless. Yes. And I'm not saying that this is going to be an unlockable character in Mortal Wombat, but I'm saying <laughs> that this is kind of, a song that knows who it is and is committed to being who it is. There's no apologies being made for the woman in this song playing this role. Yeah, I think this... A direct comparison you can make in Mortal Wombat, whatever the fuck that is, you know, put this versus, uh... Oh, fuck. Uh, Unwritten by Natasha Bedingfield, and, like, this, this puts a fucking fatality on that song. Yeah, this kind of reminds me of the really beautiful, passionate atmosphere that was created by India Ari on her first record, Acoustic Soul, with songs like Video. I thought that this really touches back on that hallmark of strength from being who you are. Because one of the things about the artifice of girl power is it's all created by old straight white men that are approving that you know in this period of time that we were talking about the 90s it was all old straight white men telling girls they could have girl power and it was in these very controlled ways and i don't mean to necessarily even bring up the spice girls to bring up the spice girls but they told young women they could be these five things they could be an adorable baby i guess they could be the one who clearly has the drug problem they could be the white one with the drug problem they could be the sporty one or they could be the frigid model bitch. And those were the five things you could be. But they never really talked about, you know, Barbie's had 1,400 jobs. And, you know, that actually is significant. And I kind of just, Barbie is doing a Dia de los Muertos Barbie. And it's the most goddamn beautiful thing I've ever seen in my entire life. Like, it moves me to tears that they're doing a genuine, like, Mexican Barbie, her skin complexion is a little darker, like, she's beautiful. But, for some reason, they have her in an anachronistic flamenco-style Spanish dress, and like, that's just it's just such a 
those were their conquerors kind of problem, and it's just not in good taste. But so Barbie's had a million jobs, right? And Barbie had been this idea that young women could be anything, and we saw echoes of that. And it's that joke that we've always made that, you know, they tell you you can be anything when you're five, and then when you're 10, they tell you you can be most things if you try hard. And then when you're 15, they tell you to take an aptitude test and you can be these three things. And then when you're 25, they tell you you can either blow into this machine or you can just go to jail. And, you know, your options become more and more limited the older you get. And I feel like Corinne Bailey Ray's um, Put Your Records On represents this idea of women that said, I'm going to reclaim what it is to have my rights. I'm not saying that, I'm not trying to be like, and I'm saying, no, I'm saying I can see these women do this, and they reasserted who they were. You couldn't just be Beyonce. You didn't just have to be Beyonce. You could be a more relaxed woman. Beyonce is not the girl I would go to if I was, you know, I need to go hang out with my girls. I just got my heart broken. I don't know that I would go to Beyonce for comfort. I would go to Beyonce to get drunk, but I would not go to Beyonce for comfort. She seems like a very strong, dominant personality. Corinne Bailey Ray is going to tell you that it's okay. We're going to sip rosé. We're going to wear our Angela Bassett flowy pants. We're going to put on a movie. It's going to be okay. And I feel like Corinne Bailey Ray sold a package with this song. She sold sisterhood with this song. And I think that's why this song stands out as so strong. It has a definite personality, a definite point of view, and it has the musical chops to back it up. And that's the T. <laughs> I hate myself. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck me. Uh, oh, man. I should well, be... <laughs> I love you. Uh, I don't know. I'm young, right? My muscles don't always hurt all the time. Uh, yeah. Lily Allen, smile. Smile. I uh, I really like the first two Lily Allen albums quite a bit. This maybe isn't the best song off it, but it certainly was the one that brought her to my attention. And uh, it's fun. I like how unapolog- un- I like how unapologetically kind of like shitty she is, uh, and uh, how unapologetically British she is as well. She seems like I don't really know anything. I'm gonna just offend all of the the European people now. But like you hear, sometimes you hear people from the UK talk about like certain areas of of the UK or of London and how like oh they've got those accents and it's like I feel like she's someone from a town called like Porkinshire where like everyone from that town is like a chav who nicked me who nicked me mobile and uh, she just I don't know how much of a character it is since her she kind of has the Taylor Swift thing where like her father was a pretty famous person um so if it's a character it's a, it's a fun one but it feels reasonably sincere so yeah i dig this track there's better ones much better ones especially on the second album uh but yeah, this was her introduction to the world and uh, i'm into it still i love that i think she's pretty great i hadn't realized that because when i heard this song, I was like, oh my god, write this fucking song! Because I, I couldn't place it. I mean, I could place like 10 other Lily Allen songs, but this one was just like right out of my reach somehow. And 
when I heard it again, I was like, oh, wow. And like 10 artists in this bracket kind of all came flooding back to me, like Kate Nash yeah. and a bunch of really talented people. And I remembered, and so I did a little rereading. And it's so funny that you say that you love those first two records. Had you been aware that negative reception of the third record led her to have an identity crisis? Oh, that is... Well, I know she put out a track, like a comeback track, called It's Hard Out There for a Bitch, which is quite good. Uh, but I don't know if that was before or after that. But that is really upsetting to me. I did not know that. Evidently, the fourth record was a lot more her in charge of herself and doing better, but it was after the identity crisis cost her her marriage. Really, she is, you know, it's got to be hard because I don't think Lily Allen had billions. You know, I think she had money, but I don't think she was a super darling. And whatever she had done, I imagine it was not the greatest struck deals that put money in her pocket. So she was somebody who had to live on her critical acclaim and her critical praise. And there was just none for Jesus. There was just no good I, I, that, I don't even Jesus. think I knew it existed probably because of that yeah and then it's kind of like how I felt about Ellie Goulding Lights was such a dynamic hit record with Guns and Horses and Starry Eyed it was just a really solid album and she followed it up with a deluxe edition Brighter Lights which added like seven or eight more songs and they were all better than anything on the proper album very kesha animal cannibal and gaga fame fame monster and then she released her second record halcyon and a deluxe edition that was even better and every track on the second disc is perfection and then she released her third record delirium and there's one good song on the whole fucking thing yeah well that's and after that, she said, I need some time away from music. I need to focus on myself and my family. And it's just so interesting how Nicki Minaj just retired after her worst received album, her worst selling album. And I do have to notice it is the album where she has. So Nicki Minaj has evidently been making an increasing number of homophobic comments in her albums. Huh. Like use of faggot and gay. Wow. You would think. I mean, I've seen a lot of her videos. It feels like she has kind of embraced camp very well. So that's a little surprising to me. Yeah, it really is. And I think she just wants to get out while there's still an out to get for her so that she can come back and be well-liked down the line. Nobody ever wants to outstay their welcome. I've been kind of wondering this recently, um, and the thing that made me think about it was um, hearing a <laughs> hearing a new Blink-182 single, which, it, the, yes, the year is 2019, uh, and I, I was wondering, like, is there a point where bands, or I guess songwriters, really, just kind of run out of things to say, and, like, maybe that's where you call it. I feel like that's still happening with any, like, pop-punk band that's kind of still around, like, what, is, what does Mark Hoppus have to say anymore? I mean, he might have more to say. Like he's, a, he's a married man with kids. He might have more to say, but he's still making songs where, like, the music videos are set in a high school. You know, I grew up, but Less Than Jake never stopped singing about getting out of their hometown. Sometimes I feel like you got to Costanza it, and you just get the good stuff in and then leave the room before you ruin it. I 
really find what you're saying important because I read a, a beautiful takedown of a form. Uh, so, okay. <clears throat> the Tori Amos community, it tends to be divided. Drink. Other than, you know, the, the super stands. You know what I mean? Like, you've got your super stands who just everything. <laughs> but otherwise, there's eras. And it's sort of that early chunk, which is 91 to 99. Then there's kind of the the middle chunk where she lost a bunch of people, but got a new wave of kids who discovered her. And that was kind of 2000 to 2007, maybe 2009. But by the end of 2009, she just kept losing people. Every record sold less than the record before it to the point where 2007's American Doll Posse sold over a million copies and 2009's Abnormally Attracted to Sin sold about 100,000 copies. And Shit. it just was this exponential roll-off over and over again. And then she's had a, a pretty major resurgence with uh, her massive neoclassical hit uh, Whoa, how am I? Night of Hunters, which was all based on classical music. She then did an orchestral greatest hits album. She did a two albums after that on Repentant Geraldines and Native Invader, for which Bang wound up on one of our end of year lists. Oh yeah. And so Tory fans kind of divide into these camps and it's all kinda of, kinda of shitty on the message boards for the most part. There's a couple of good ones still, but you know, we're definitely entering that time of the new people discovering it are at a much lower rate than the people leaving. And so everybody's getting kind of sad that these communities that formed in the early days of the internet are really starting to break apart. And a person put kind of like a hot take kind of post where they described each one of Tori's first six or so albums in a glowing single adjective word. Little Earthquakes is powerful under the pink is dynamic and all of this stuff and then they didn't do any of the records from 2000 to 2017 and they just put one for native invader no problem so somebody was like wow you know i i get the joke you're making but man that's you know you just didn't connect with it and the person was like oh i still can i still understood what she was trying to say there just weren't as many good songs and blah 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 and the guy's response was I'm going to say this. You were 16 at the height of the albums you are saying you loved. The mm-hmm. records you didn't connect with came out through your 20s and into your early 30s. Yeah. And if you, at that time in your life, were still dedicating that much time to laying in bed looking at lyric books and going online and communicating with fans about what the lyrics might mean, if you were still stuck in that mode of your life where art came to life for you like that, I would be worried for your family. Because as an adult, you have to give up this trade. You have to say, okay, I can still have my music time, but you don't have the same kind of music time. You have other responsibilities and concerns. And that's not to say that you will never connect with a piece of art again, but to say that you have the mind and life where you can just connect with art on a fundamental emotional level is to undervalue the rest of the things going on in your world. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. And I was just Absolutely. like, I was just like, this is it. This is everything. This is life. I just started like death clapping nonstop. I was so happy. I just was so happy. I am. Um, and I've been thinking about. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, God. Well, and just, and I feel like, in regard to your question, I think Tori Amos has repeatedly changed what she sings about. When she was younger, she sang a lot about herself. And as she's gotten older, she sings more about issues. And I still love everything she has to say. I still think it's really worth it. I still think it's really valuable. We made a bunch of jokes about Tool. I don't think Tool ever really sang about anything in particular. So Tool's still just making music. And I don't think Tool has anything new to say. I think they just released a new album. I listened to it. You know what? I loved it. But you know what? I just, I loved it. It's Tool. I loved it. So, but it's still just more Tool. They don't have more things to say. They're still saying the same things. But what they're saying doesn't age poorly. The sound might, but what they're saying isn't inherently tied to the idea of youth. So in that regard, I think when the artist has an adult identity, it's easier to transition further along. Absolutely. Completely, completely agreed. And I think um, it's something I've been thinking about recently. Uh, just re- the reevaluation of things that you liked as a teenager, I think is important. And I think it's worthwhile. But then at the same time, I've, I call it the Donnie Darko syndrome. I've said to people like that, anytime that movie comes up, people are like, oh yeah, I really love that movie. I'll usually say like, when's the last time you saw it? And they're like, I was like 18. I'm like, yeah, just don't watch it again. Don't watch it again. Just leave the memories alone. Just leave alone. it where it is. Don't do it. Yep. Yeah. Same. Yep. Kevin, when I have that conversation about Donnie Darko. Yeah. I've, I'm of both worlds. I feel like you should reevaluate, but I feel like also keeping the memories alone is, I don't know what makes it different for film and music though, but maybe just because music you're following somebody through multiple years and albums and you evolve you can evolve with them whereas a movie is like a singular thing and yes you can evolve with the director but it's different from the that one piece that they put out and i think it also like this is such a and i'm gonna get beat up because i'm pretty sure this started as a movie podcast website but hear me out a movie, yeah, you can interact with the movie however you want. You can walk away with the film franchise from whatever it is you're looking to walk away from it with. You could walk away saying, you know, I think Hayden Christensen's performance of Anakin Skywalker was a dynamic, lifeful person with a lot of things to say, with a ton of personality. And I think Ian McDrumface, I don't know, who plays the Emperor, really portrayed a character that's someone I want to be like. He cares about his friends, he wants to protect his religion, and he really likes cloaks. And He's a good mentor. Great mentor. Great builds his... his Buddy gets injured, so he builds him a disability exoskeleton. You could walk away with a ventilator. It's a CPAP machine in that helmet. <laughs> and, you know, he just loves to laugh. I love a good laugh. Right? And he protects the religion. He doesn't make everybody fight over his throne like on Game of Thrones. He just wants to sit on it. And he's not always overbearing. Sometimes he just pops up via hologram. Who doesn't love it when their dad calls and is like, Hello, I'm visiting you through this phone. So, like, you can take whatever you want from a film, but at the end of the day, if you tell me that the Death Star was actually an ovum, and Luke was impregnating it with his laser, and it exploded into the baby of Star Wars, I'm gonna tell you, we didn't watch the same movie. But if you tell me that 
When they come for me, I'll be sitting at my desk with a gun in my hand wearing a bulletproof vest saying, my, 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 how the time does fly when you know you're going to die at the end of the night. If you try and tell me that that can't have 50 meanings to 50 different punk fans, I'm going to tell you you're fucking crazy. Because it's so much less defined by what it is and defined more by what it can mean to you. There isn't a plot to be tied down to with an album, even when there's a story. Yeah, I mean, they're, they're different mediums. And, and I think um, music has a lot more ability to tap into individual emotions than film does. And, and that's okay. That's why they're, they're different mediums. And uh, God, they're going to put Palpatine in episode nine. We're like two months away from it at the time of this release. And it's, it's going to suck so bad. Episode nine is going to be terrible. Eight was my favorite Star Wars film ever made. It's extremely I good. I thought like every minute of it made me like piss my pants i'm like screaming in the theater kevo's crying we loved this movie right kevo loves it more now but i think here's why i think nine might be okay jj abrams is bad at doing consecutive things but when jj abrams has something to borrow from and lift from he you know does better when he copies other people. So I think that while it's only been one movie, he's got a bunch of stuff he never got to play with from the old ones, and now he gets to play with them here. So I'm actually kind of excited. I just feel like, you know what, it actually, to me, genuinely cannot be worse than the prequels. Well, yeah. The prequels made me give up on Star Wars. So I have Rey now, I have Finn, even if Poe, I have Porgs. I Porgs have are good. Um, Maz. I love all of this shit, so I'm in. How did this become Star Wars cast? I think Ben Solo might be uh, the most well-rounded, interesting character in all of Star Wars. I think they're actually doing a version of Anakin Skywalker that works, that George Lucas tried to do, and just Lucas. Um, but yeah, anyway, we'll see in two months. I'm... You mean Kylo Ren, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think that Kylo Ren... So, like, I'm famous for being like, no, 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 no. You can like Avatar, but Zuko is obnoxious. No. Put my foot down. No, I actually think Kylo Ren... I think the film makes it very clear that Kylo Ren is ill. I think the film makes it very clear he is a brilliant mind who's suffering and in pain and torn between political and personal ideologies and he's weak to powerful men because look at his parents and and his uncle i just oh my god i i don't like kylo i don't like kylo ren like i hate him but right i think he is very well done and uh i mean all the respect in the world to adam driver he is just incredible and he has committed to this character in an unforgettable way he knows people hate him for being Kylo Ren, and I truly feel that by keeping this great sense of humor and doing parodies and being lighthearted about it, he's managed to take that character and, while owning it, not letting it yes. define him or ruin Absolutely. his career. And I think that's amazing, especially because he kind of looks like a fool. <laughs> he's not the prettiest. Uh, okay, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to wrangle this fucking back in. Two more things about Lily Allen before we go to the second fucking third track on this now of half um, at 40 minutes in. I want to be fair and balanced, uh, like all good uh, news channels are. Uh, Huff, could you? Lily Allen was 100% an industry plant. I've complained about them before. Um, she did have a famous dad. Uh, 
she was one of the people who got MySpace famous, like her songs started appearing and then suddenly they were just like, they were proliferated and were everywhere. And like, look how famous she got on MySpace just from putting her shit on MySpace. And like, no, no. But like the difference between her and Pale Waves is that like Lily Allen put out a good album after that. So, uh, but she was like, full disclosure, she's a fucking industry plant. Secondly, um, you know, some, some fun Lily Allen trivia. Um, go and check out the song from this album called Alfie which is about how she's pretty sure her brother is like a massive mm-hmm. fuck up and an idiot. Uh, and then realized that that would be Alfie Allen. And uh, if you're a Game of Thrones fan, think about where you've heard that name before. <laughs> so uh, I always, people always find that really surprising when they hear about that song and listen to it. Uh, KT Tunstall, Suddenly I See. both of these singles that are the same single by this one woman that somehow like these two songs were like in heavy rotation on the radio for a really long time. I was never sure how she was on Z100, but she was at one point. And I, cause like, I don't know if she is or not, but like, this sounds like lesbian music to me. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that, I could have seen, does that make sense? It, she, does, she could have played a, a 90s, like little fair, I guess. I don't sure. Is that, I don't know. She's like, Acoustic-y singer-songwriter. I, I don't know where I don't know where you're going with it. I'm trying, trying to get there with you, buddy. Well, evidently, I um, I just went on her wiki, and this is so she's straight. Uh, she began dating Luke Bullen, her drummer in her band. Mm, don't uh, shit, we weep. Proposed. They were married, and then they divorced in 2005. She said that Dido can't fucking sing. And then she went through surgery to correct an undersized kidney. And then she began experiencing hearing problems in 2008. And in 2018, she's lost all hearing on one side. So oh, she has God. issues. And this just got devastating. So I guess what I like, I, you know, it's, I just think it's, I, I just thought it sounded like lesbian music. I don't even know what that means. I don't think she's gay, but like, there's something very. I feel like okay. you can hear this at a lesbian bar about this, and I, I just feel so bad because she can't even hear me say these things. <laughs> well, I mean, despite that sadness, I, I do feel as I listen to the song, I feel like I'm that uh, anime meme where like she's a butterfly floating towards me, and I'm just like, is this latte gaze? Because is this latte gaze? You know what? It's too exciting for Latte Gaze. It's kind of okay. like the Lily Allen song is too confrontational for Latte Gaze, and Corinne Bailey Ray is clearly a little too R&B for Latte Gaze because Latte Gaze has to work in multiple states. And I, th- you know, that's just a statement on how racist music was still at this point. And oh yeah, of course. I feel like this song isn't Latte Gaze because it's kind of got like a thump to it. It's not like latte gays. It's like latte shakes. Like you got an espresso yeah. and you got a double espresso and it was the cuparista. So he gave you a triple espresso and now you're sitting in your car and you're just like, don't shit, don't shit, <laughs> don't shit. Suddenly I see, just keep singing. This is what I want to be. And like, it's that. 
I, yeah, I feel like the KT Tunstall's like audience is also very narrow. Um, maybe if it's not latte gays, it's still like it's a uh, like a mom really likes KT Tunstall, and then so like her college age son is like, oh, if you like KT Tunstall, you should check out Nico Case, and then she does, and the mom is like, that no, it's a little too like different for me. Uh, this is definitely not an autobiographical story that exactly happened to me. Uh, but I just think KT Tunstall is like very very narrowly mom. 2007 mommy kind of music you know i very much get that because she's very plj which is again now an antiquated reference plj is gone it has been replaced by a religious station and previously the best of 80s 90s and today (sighs) no you can listen to the best of the father son and the holy spirit and that's a very different Mm -hmm. story so i'm like not even sure how this i guess like so she was a this song is rare because this could be on Light FM, it could be on Z100, it could be on 955 PLJ. It could be on just about anything but easy listening and like K-Rock and even then there were times that you could hear it kind of on easy listening sort of. You wouldn't hear uh, Black Horse and a Cherry Tree, but you'd hear this. It's just one of those sad stories where you couldn't figure out what happened to her, but I guess now it's evidently severe hearing loss and a near feud with Dido. Yeah, I don't know. I guess uh, Dido put a curse on her. Yeah, I think... Fucked up. You know, Dido was like, Dido cursed the cherry tree and whoever cut it down. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just glad the song isn't called Suddenly I Hear. Oh man. Uh Hello goodbye here in your arms. I think this is a different sound than almost anything that we have had on now thus far. And for that alone, it deserves a little bit of spotlighting. Yeah, it's kind of it's kind of beep boopy, and I like that about it. It's very beep boopy, but it's beep boopy in a way that makes me want to bop. Yeah, it's got that auto-tuned chorus that I think auto we've talked before about how auto-tune works as a tool. I don't think it does here and this is an example of a sound we're going to hear a lot in the coming years that just never, ever works, actually. Like the whiny guy auto-tune. Uh, but, and you mentioned in the green room, I'm going to snipe this from you. Or, I mean, I'm just going to give it to you. I'm going to lob this near your slam dunk it. We're going to get stuff like Owl City, a straight line off of this in the next couple of years. Even bands like 303, I feel like, kind of come from a line off of this. Absolutely. It's this funny joke that I like hear me out so I feel like the progression of a metal guy is when he's 16 he's in a punk band when he's 17 he joins a death metal band probably German metal even when he's 18 he moves toward like more just like heavy atmospheric emotional rock and he just kind of transforms over time and before you know it at 22 he's in a synth rock band but not like 80s synth rock, like, you know, like, like synthy metal, synthy, industrially synthy. Sure. And, you know, it's, they're 24 and the band's about to break up 
and these two guys want to go do like dance rock synth music. These two guys want to get back to their metal roots. And this guy over here is like, I just like going beep, boop. (laughs) And I feel like music that fits this sound is very the guy that just wanted to go on his keyboard all day. Yeah. Yeah. um, I would bet like a lot of money that this band has toured with Head Automatica at some point in their career. Uh, It's it's exactly in that kind of uh, through line. I also just know that like what is coming from this and it will never be on a now, fortunately, but is some of my least favorite sounds in music ever is how is when this sound got fucking went into the fly machine and came out as just like the worst fucking mutation ever when it goes in with like uh scene hardcore and you get bands like attack attack like a lot of people call them like crab core bands uh and th- that is some of the worst sound you will ever hear in your life I think this is already the beginning of the end in, in a really important way because something we've talked about is, you know, we compared it to Owl City. And I think the worst thing you can say about Owl City is he puts a digital effect on his voice. I literally cannot understand what the fuck Hello Goodbye is saying here. Yeah, it's, it's a little too much. I don't mean any offense to, you know, the lead singer of this band, Mr. Hello Goodbye McGillicuddy, but I yes. feel like I have tremendous trouble loving this song because I can't understand if these are the same lyrics to Jai Ho or what. <laughs> like, it's just, it's just kind of like, and like, it's just a lot. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. The red jumpsuit apparatus, face down. I gotta say, this is without a shadow of doubt, and it's not on the you know hello, go- hello goodbye thing. Got a couple points again because the now and again curve, and this is not losing points because of the now and again curve and the fact that pretty much every example of pop punk we've had on now thus far has been dredges. Um, even when the song came out, this was like third tier, very late stage pop punk with like your yellow cards and your bay sides, and that is all absolute trash. But between just the way the song is performed and the lyrics and the time, this is, honest to God, one of my least favorite songs of all time. You know, it's I, uh, you know, it's do a do a good deed with your art, and I think that's beautiful. You know, when you think about like "Heal the World" by Michael Jackson, "Heal the World," make it a better place for you and for me and the entire human race. But this does not play so this doesn't play brave there's this joke that my husband and my boyfriend and I all have uh, Kevo, Jonah and I we all joke about how on Project Runway there's a particularly very obviously gay contestant in the second season that we've rewatched recently and he waits like eight episodes to start talking about the fact that he's gay 
And that's probably, you know, some amount of producer magic, but that means they worked really hard to cut around any gay reference he had in the first eight weeks. And all of a sudden he's talking about how he's gay and it's coming up nonstop. And the fact that he's gay is coming up every scene at this point going forward. And we all kind of made this huge joke of, I said fag on TV, I'm brave. And this is this thing that we all find kind of really saccharine and annoying this false bravery don't get me wrong I think it's really great that these guys want to write a song about protecting women but I, I don't actually think they're writing a song about protecting women I think yeah. they're writing kind of like a whiny man rock song about how you don't deserve her and yeah I don't want to use this word because absolute fucking shitheads all over the internet use this phrase but I think this song is virtue signaling I don't even know what that phrase means uh, yeah, it's it's fine. What does it mean, though? <laughs> just you know, forget it. Go on. Someone out there is is just like ah yes, but no, no, no one cares. Go on. I find the song to be kind of foolish because it's not even. It's really not even about the fact that. I feel like they're trying to... Okay, you know, Janet Jackson, here's your Janet reference. Janet Jackson did a lot of, you know, uh, social themes in Rhythm Nation 1814, and it occasionally made it sound like in 1986, Janet Jackson discovered there was homelessness. And that didn't age well. And Mm -hmm. I think this did not age well. I don't think it was great and at I the time, especially, and I don't think it aged well. Especially in the context of the the genre and the people within the genre. Like, first off, there's there's no solution to the problem that's being presented. It's just being pointed out in like a very white knighty fashion by a string bean with very angular bangs. And now, you know, 2019, as a lot of the people who grew up in that time period were like, and we're fans of these bands were like 16 and 17, you're really hearing a lot of the stories about how these nice guy frontmen were really, really manipulative towards their younger fans. And a lot of the guys in these bands were really, really gross and skeevy. And when you hear a song like this, knowing like how a lot of these guys Jesse Lacey'd themselves, you kind of can't help but wonder if there's an ulterior motive behind songs like this. It's gross, but it's true. And to pretend that it's, you know, because we're not saying every guy in this industry or in this genre was a fucking, you know, megalo rape head, but it's... I'm sure the violinist from Yellow Card was very nice. Yeah, and gentle and offered to wear two condoms. But I think we're looking at, you know, just the beginning of the great Me Tooing. It's going to stop being called Me Too, and it's going to start being, we're just going after these guys. And I can't tell you the number of comic book writers that were famous for their incredibly feminist agenda in comics, and lo and behold, we find out ten years later they were, like, actually, like, gross. And it's just what it was, and it's what it is. I find... I'd never even considered your point that this song is from a genre that is somewhat famous for its problematic behavior, 
I had never even made that sharp connection before, and like now the song is even grosser for me. Mm. I just I, I looked it up, and um, again, this this phrase is, has been misappropriated a lot. Much like fake news was a real thing, and then someone some dickhead perverted it. This was a real thing, and now you hear it from people who have like YouTube channels called the uh, the Reasonable Atheist or like uh, Libertarian Comics Guy. Uh, talking about, you know, SJWs with purple hair. Um, but what virtue signaling actually is, is uh, the action or practice of publicly expressing opinions or sentiments intended to demonstrate one's good character or the moral correctness of one's position on a particular issue. Interesting. Okay. So it's the kind of thing that used to be done to gays all the time. Like the, the negative of it. Yes. The bad version. I, 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 yes, I, I don't. Oh, sorry, I don't know the context. Like, Explain. Gay, uh, enlighten. Gay people are a moral outrage, and every example was given. Oh, stop fucking dogs. Hmm. Well, yeah, yeah. Slippery slope fallacy. Yeah, that's that's what uh, I mean. Yeah, like, the okay. misappropriation is the same thing as the misappropriation is the same thing is what I'm saying, not the actual concept. Because I get what you're saying. Yeah, and okay, I understand now. And but yeah, it's just like knowing the what was going on behind the scenes of this kind of third wave power pop as it's transforming into like a whole different genre in that, that very like late warp tour time. Um, yeah, just the virtue signaling about how much you care about women, knowing that. The, and again, the red jumpsuit apparatus might not be, but in the context, it just makes the song. A little grosser. It's why you never say not all men or not my ancestors unless you can point to me on the document where your ancestors came over on a boat yesterday. Mm -mm. Okay, so coming out of pop punk for a hot second, we've got The Fray with How to Save a Life. You were talking about how you had just watched all the Alien movies. Imagine, if you will, uh, Chris Martin of Coldplay uh, walking into a room and seeing like eight distorted, horrible, disfigured, failed clones of himself before he lights them on fire. One of them is the Frey. Another is like One Republic. So I have always had... Okay. Um, So I think all of the songs on this Frey album sound the same in a good way. In that way that we've described... Coldplay, haha, see, exactly your point, in a way that we've said Coldplay kind of does. Oh, okay, this is your signature sound. Mm -hmm. I get it. I get what you're saying. I get what you're going for. I like this song that is also Cable Car, right? Yes, it's exactly that song. And I think I like that song better, but I really couldn't say. I also think I like the one where the white people say Amistad. Is that real? Yeah, in their in their hit single "You Found Me," they say, um, "I found God at the corner of First and Amistad." Oh, okay. I actually don't know if the Frey are white. Uh, this guy's very white. Oh, thank goodness. Um, yeah, they say you know, and it, it, I used. I think, to think they're also this... like Irish or something, and it's it's okay to be racist against Irish. I used to make this joke where, you know, 
Whitney Houston had in Your Love Is My Love, It Would Take an Eternity to Break Us, Even the Chains of Amistad Couldn't Hold Us, I used to make a joke that, you know, that is a really hard reference to make in a song. I don't know how you organically work Amistad references into music, but if someone's going to do it, it gets to be Whitney Houston, you know? And then here comes the fray. Here is the fray with a million songs that I could not possibly tell apart. And, um, yeah. Uh, uh, And I guess this song has some sort of point or, you know, we live in a society kind of statement. But, again, just super generic and vague and inoffensive in its pointing out that we live in a society. Uh, I, I couldn't tell you what the fuck he's trying to point to make as a point. Jumper is more nuanced than the song. I tried Googling it, and the top answer is the streets of gold in heaven are sometimes referred to as First Street, and Amistad is friendship in Spanish. Amistad was also a slave ship that was basically comparable to well, hell. Yeah. He wrote it at a crossroads between going one way or the other. I uh, just don't think white people should reference Amistad. Yeah, that's... I don't love it. I don't love it. It's in I don't need to talk about this song anymore, do you? No. Okay, cool. Uh, do we even want to talk about Nickelback? The song is called If Everyone Cared, which... Uh... Nickelback also has a song about abusing ladies and don't do it good for nickelback it's called like never again or something and it's like i would kick your ass gladly or something it's dumb but they also have that song okay so red jumpsuit apparatus you guys didn't even establish the first foundation sure i'm comfortable calling red jumpsuit apparatus the nickelback of third wave pop punk (laughs) It's such a shit. That's it's such a nothing distinction. You know, it feels like who could give a fuck. You know, I just don't even think anybody remembers Red Jumpsuit Apparatus, including people. In, you know what? Actually, no. I'm being really unfair because, like, in all seriousness, they did write a song about why you don't abuse women, and I, you know, it's a lot of fun to poke fun at anybody, but I'm sure there are people for whom that song means a lot. So I'm sure someone out there remembers Red Jumpsuit yeah, that Apparatus. Is... I just don't think the collective of music shares the same feeling about what is meant to be this lighthearted pop song that plays on the radio that is moralistic outrage at the mistreatment of women. Much like you kind of said pop punk is not for politics, pop punk is fucking for screeching about girls. Like that is, you you can't get too far out of that without it sounding really, uh, really foreign. Like you have a glitch in the matrix that nothing's making sense. Yeah, it's one of my favorite things about any time somebody does a really good song parody, and or not parody, but like a, a really good novelty song, and when the novelty kicks in and you go, what did they just say? Right? But that shouldn't be your goal. Your yeah. goal shouldn't be pop punk abuse novelty track. Yeah, that's not the that's not the thing that I want to be known for, but that's what the Red Jumpsuit Apparatus is for. Also for... Uh, being the band that we keep talking about instead of Nickelback. So, Werewolf, he hits uh, her. Spooky, scary. Uh, speak, speaking of Halloween songs, that is a good one. And uh, frankly, I think it's okay to listen to the monster. I think it's okay to listen to the Monster Mash year round. Hot take from me. It, my gym played it January 1st this year. 
Good. Good. Fucking good. All right. Uh, I didn't know how to work out to that. Oh, after that, they played Till Tuesday Voices Carry, another song about abuse. Yay. <sighs> Daughtry, it's not over. Uh, Dr. Reed did not win American Idol, right? No, he uh, got real, real far, and I think lost to, um, like, a a soft guy. Yeah, probably. I'm not going to look it up. Uh, but because of, of all the American Idol people, winners or losers, he's like one of five that had a career that lasted more than six months. So, good for him. And he's got an incredible voice, and I think what really helped him was that everybody else with his voice at that time had become a fucking joke. Whether it mm-hmm. was Nickelback or it was the guys like Creed or anything like that, everybody yeah. else who had that dynamic passion voice had become a fucking laughing stock. And he offered, he also offered somebody with incredible vocal chops. The number of harmonies he has in his songs, the range he hits, it's really well controlled. And it's kind of hard to be. Outside of Sanjaya, I think it's really difficult to be talentless on American Idol because you're really being forced to sing live every week. And I know I've discussed the fact that they have ways of rigging it so that the right person wins, but they're not rigging it every week from every angle. It just wouldn't, at a certain point, be reasonable. They would just sooner cancel the show than have to rig it every single week from every single possible angle. Yeah, you can only put your thumb on the scale so much before it becomes very obvious to people watching and participating that it's just wrestling now. Yeah, that's a really, I think that's a really beautiful way to put it. At a certain point, it just becomes vocal wrestling. And I feel like Chris Daughtry, you know, he also went through that natural progression of classic rockers, maybe a little too fast. Every Eagles started out as the Eagles, whether, or whether you like the Eagles or you have taste. Every Eagles started the Eagles, and at some point, we're, you know, it softened to Don Henley doing Heart of the Matter, which is one of my favorite songs right. ever. I love Solo Henley. I think Solo Henley's the bomb shit. I just don't care for the Eagles. And I, you know, you can only have so many bands that start hard rock and wind up so soft. And I feel like Daughtry had no choice but to go hard soft real fast. Right. Yeah. Very, very mom rock. Um, with this, you know, just, just enough edge to not, to be, uh, to stand out but not be offensive. And, uh, it, yeah, with what you said about the, your creeds and things like that, uh, he is dangerously close to being underbite rock, but he is not there because, like you said, he has a voice. Yeah. But that said, the song is, uh, I mean, I, I remember it, but it's just like, because it was very, very played at the time. But, uh, like, I didn't miss it, really. But I didn't hate listening no. to it coming back. I think the thing that sticks out for me the most about this song is that incredible harmony pitch he hits in the It's Not Overs. Like, his voice really is something, and he's someone that knew that to stand out he had to showcase it, because he's handsome, but he falls into that weird class of handsome. Uh, bald guys, 
either need to be super duper jacked or like like uh, really rich because when you're sort of like that bald guy with the scruff, you fall into neck beard really quickly and he knows he wasn't like outright gorgeous. He knew he wasn't super young. He sold this package on the strength of his talent in your living room every single week. As someone who is rapidly going bald but has a beard, I uh, I feel that. I feel seen. I, I think I think my best case scenario is ending up looking like Hugo Strange. So, you know, I decided at twenty six or so that I was losing my hair a little too fast, and since then, nah, who needs it? Yep, I'm just kind of like rocking a mohawk now because it's like the last time I think I'm gonna ever be able to have fun with hair. So, uh, getting old, folks. Uh, all right, one more. Um, Fun with hair sounds like a really bad fetish site. (laughs) Uh, This is the All-American Rejects. It ends tonight. I have kind of been saying I don't think the All-American Rejects are that bad. I've kind of been making fun of them so far because they... I think they take themselves way too seriously for a band that has put out some goofy songs. But at the same time... <laughs> songs, I like that. At the same time, look what we're comparing them to. The Red Jumpsuit Apparatus. Like, what, like Hawthorne Heights is around this time. I would rather have this because there's a semblance of songwriting here. Um, I think the song's a little too cute for itself, but I I don't. It's a, it's solidly average, even off the curve of now. And on the curve of now, I'll take this over a lot of these final five songs we've been getting on these last ten nows. But it's low. It's praised. It's damning with fame praise. Better than bad isn't good. And for my money, this was the reason by Hoobastank 2.0. Ooh, um, sure. I'm into it. I can, I can see that. I can see that. This was why I'm glad that Disney never reached out to Incubus to do one of their ballads at the end of a movie because it would just sound so saccharine. This sounds like Diane Warren. This doesn't sound like the yeah. All-American Rejects. And I think he actually shows a lot of vocal restraint in this song, shockingly. He shows a lot of vocal restraint, but I don't think between the hyper-simplistic lyrics and the overused chord progression and yeah. the, the sort of high school level poetic analysis, when darkness turns to light, it ends tonight. Well, when darkness turns to light, the night is over. So we yes. understand I, that's, the, that's the pun. Good job, guy. You, yeah, it. it's, you know, if if the light is off, then it isn't on. It's right. just but, such a surface understanding of how to write a song like this. It's sort of embarrassing for me. But like I just said before, uh, pop punk is for embarrassing shit. And I'll take this any day over, do you feel like a man when he pushes you around or whatever? Oh, yeah, I just don't want either. <laughs> yeah, well... And also, I think you had this band completely poisoned for you anyway. So, 
Yeah. That can't help. There's a there's a joke from Superstore, which is, all right, somebody puts a gun to your head. Me or him? Who do you – if they meet a third oh, – I said, Jeff, fuck the joke up. But it's, you know, if somebody okay. puts a gun to your head and says, who are you going to kill, person A or person B? I'm going to kill the person with the gun. So, like, you know, I don't want this. I think I wouldn't have liked them even if I hadn't felt forced to listen to them. They never would have been a, been sure. a band I would have enjoyed. They are not a band yeah. I would have come to on my own. And even if they were a band I liked a lot, I never would have liked this song. Yeah. I mean, I had the same thing. Uh, in college, I dated someone who loved this band, and I heard that that first and mostly the second album. I heard it a lot. And um, But again, it's just like versus the other stuff that was on her iPod shuffle at the time, It's it was like a, a, an oasis in the desert because there's just – again, it's, it's just – it's the curve effect. And then it's uh, – it's elevated by it's just it's all of its contemporaries being absolute fucking garbage. But like I said, I think on the last episode, uh, a one is technically higher than a zero, but it's still pretty fucking low on the scale. Yeah, this is a pretty low now. Yeah, I'm I'm done with it. All right, bye. That was that was now. <laughs> <laughs> wait, wait, come back. What? Nico, where can people find you? Oh, where can people find me? You guys can find me all over the place on shows on this network, like HTML, Husbands Talking More or Less. My husband, Kevo, and I have already taken a look at the Marvel Cinematic Universe and Fox Marvelverse, and now we've turned our unique eye to space to take a look at the Alien franchise, as well as Predator and their crossover film, Alien vs. Predator. Good for me. And we also will be taking a look at Star Wars in the near future. Don't forget to check out X's for Podcasts, where along with Kevo, Jonah, Dylan, Kyle, and more, we're taking a look at the Uncanny X-Men comic book franchise, whether it's the 1980s Mutant Mania or Jonathan Hickman's incredible resurgence of the X-Men in House of X and Powers of Ten. We're covering it all, so please check that out twice a week. You can also find me on Instagram being thoughty and half naked at Nico Action. That's N-I-C-O-A-C-T-I-O-N. Damn, you fergied that shit up. Yeah, I, I, you know, I'm P-R-E-T-T-Y-G-O-O-D-A-T-S-P-E-L-L-I-N-G. H-E-Y-C-H-R-I-S W-H-E-R-E T-H-E-P-E-O-P-L-E F-I-N-D-Y-O-U question mark. Not on podcasts with you anymore. <laughs> I'm fired! Uh, I'm, I'm here. I'm on the Cage Club Network, floating around. I'm technically at Chris Podcasts on Twitter, but boy, I hate Twitter more every day, so I might be at not on Twitter soon. Uh, but, uh, you know, you can get me on there for now. And um, until next time, now 25... That's a milestone, I guess. We will catch you on the flip side. I was trying to make some money for my daughter. So all my people's in the struggle, you know what I'm saying? So baby, It was all a dream. I used to read Word Up magazine. Something pepper and heavy D up in the limousine. Hanging pictures on my wall. Every Saturday, rap attack, Mr. Magic Molly Mall. I let my tape rock to my tape pop. Smoking weed and bamboo, sipping on private stock. 
way back when I had the red and black lumberjack with the hat to match. Remember rapping Duke? The hard, the hard. You never thought that hip hop would take it this far. Now I'm in the limelight cause I rhyme tight. Time to get paid, blow up like the world trade. Born sinner, the opposite of a winner. Remember when I used to eat sardines for dinner? Peace to Ron G, Brucey e. B, Kid Capri. Funk Master Flex, Love Bug Star Key. I'm blowing up like you thought I would. Call a crib, same number, same hood. It's all good. Uh, and if you don't know, now you know, nigga. <laughs>